Hey everybody and welcome to Steve's NRL Footy Tips for Finals Week 2. Week 1 of the Finals is better than anyone could have anticipated in terms of match quality. It was a great weekend of football and two teams and the only one win away from the Grand Final and that is the South City Rabbitohs and the Melbourne Storm. I'll start with the Rabbitohs first. Uh, man, I said it on the show last week. If there would be an upset and if there could be an upset in the top four, then the competition would be blown wide open and that's what's happened the South Sydney Rabbitohs defeating the Penrith Panthers 16-10 on Saturday night in a result that almost nobody saw coming. Uh, I predicted on the show last week, I said that South Sydney would be up for the challenge and really into the game, but I tipped Penrith, and this has come from a South Sydney fan. So did all the guests that I had on the show last week. It was an absolutely outstanding performance by the Rabbitohs. Um, yeah, they played like a team. Adam Randall controlled the game really well, and Penrith just couldn't get into their natural game. Uh, an early... Nathan Cleary kick led to a great try by Stephen Croydon. Um, but you can just tell that this encounter really felt like a finals contest. But it was South Sydney getting the spoils. And now they go into a preliminary final to get into the grand final next weekend. They're fourth in a row. They haven't won one of their, uh, their past three. So it's going to be a massive challenge for the Rabbitohs. But the grand final that a lot of critics and uh, experts were predicting to happen, the Panthers and the Storm, the grand final rematch of 2020, is impossible now because Penrith lost and they now go to the Melbourne Storm side of the bracket. And as for the Melbourne Storm, on Friday night, they opened the final series with a dominant performance. It was the only game of the weekend that wasn't close. They ended up beating the Manly Seagulls 40 points to 12. And man, from the opening whistle, they were just completely, uh, completely, you know, dominant. They, they outclassed Manly. They out-infused Manly. Manly just couldn't get out of the blocks and get anything going. Brennan Smith had a great start to the game, and then he uh, suffered what looked like it could have been a fractured cheekbone. Thankfully, it wasn't, so he can play next weekend. But they put on Harry Grant, and that one-two punch, I mentioned it on the show last week, it proved to be a huge different ma- difference maker for the Melbourne Storm. Brian Pabberhausen was back to his best, and me and their forwards just completely... Uh, smash Manly and just starved Manly of possession. Manly, a couple unforced mistakes through the likes of Cherry Evans. He he struggled to control the team. A couple guys overplayed their hand, it seemed like, and they really couldn't get Tom Trojevic, their superstar, the best player in the NRL, involved in the game. And if you make unforced errors and uh, you know you give Melbourne so much ball, there's no way you're going to beat the Melbourne Storm, especially a Storm team that's been so dominant in 2021 and over the last 10 years. I mean, they just tied the record for most consecutive wins in rugby league history. They had a loss to the Eels a couple of weeks ago, but this was the Melbourne Storm that we know, the, the classy Storm outfit that just gets it done and, and they just know how to get up for these finals contests and they've just got that, that X factor, that, that, that skill in finals games just to continue to improve their game and you know just, just be complete professionals and step up every time they take the field in the postseason. So this Melbourne Storm team is going to be so hard to beat, and I don't know if it's possible, like Des Hasler said last week, if they can be beaten. But we've got two massive games this weekend between the Penrith Panthers and the Parramatta Eels. The winner of that will be versing the Melbourne Storm. And on the Friday night, the first game of the week, we've got the Sydney Roosters versus the Manly Seagulls to see who versus the Rabbitohs. So a lot of, uh, a lot of unpredictable stuff has happened during the finals, and it's going to continue uh, for sure, in my opinion, it's it's a wide-open race in terms of what the grand final is going to be now because uh, even though the Storm might be heavy favourites to win the competition, now they've got to go through the Panther Panthers and vice versa to make the big dance uh, at the start of October. So, And, you know, we've, we've talked about this 
who's going to be there. But we haven't talked about the other two games of the round, and they were equally as thrilling. Parramatta defeating the Newcastle Knights 28-20. to It was a penalty try that was the result uh, that, that gave the Eels the result. It was the difference maker at the end of the day. Um, they still would have been winning by, winning by two points, but that penalty try, which was controversial, I thought uh, Gufferson might have knocked it on before he kicked that ball, might have dropped it, so I don't think it should have been a try, but it was awarded, and uh, it effectively wiped out uh, any chance for Newcastle winning that game. And it was, a, up until that point, a very entertaining game, back-and-forth game. Newcastle showed up. Parramatta uh, just seemed to head uh, in a couple of key crucial moments in the game. They just had it go their way, and that proved to be the difference maker for Newcastle. And then on Saturday night, uh, I predicted the upset, the Gold Coast Titans beating the Sydney Roosters, but as fate had it, it wasn't to be. The Titans were so courageous during that game. They kept coming at the Roosters, coming at the Roosters, and likewise, the Roosters were so courageous with all the troops that they're missing. I wrote them off two weeks ago saying, I don't think they can do anything in finals, and even if they make it past one, they're basically just passengers um, in this final series just because there's nothing left in the tank there. Well, they had a great game of football on Saturday afternoon, and for mine, it was the game of the week and maybe the game of the season. That's how good I think that game of footy was, and, you know, people are going to be looking at the replay in that last minute for a, a long period of time. They're going to be watching it, and Patrick Herbert, he had David Fafita and Corey Thompson unmarked. He didn't pass the ball, and Unfortunately, that's rugby league sometimes. He, he wanted to be the hero. He wanted to... or he was, I don't even know if he wanted to be the hero. Maybe he was just too indecisive at the mo- at that moment and didn't know what to do and just kind of went into his shell a little bit. But, you know, uh, champion teams in key moments like that, um, you know, win the game. They don't let that opportunity slip and by. And nothing against Gold Coast. I think they're going to be better for the run in the finals. That was their first finals appearance in five years. And my guest last week, Matt Dupont... Um, was devastated and you know I was devastated for him I, I, I think they've got a lot of improvement in the next couple of years and I think um, this this lost wallet might be heartbreaking I think Gold Coast um, are going to be competitive for, for many years to come with the lineup they're building and um, props to David uh, David Feeder as well I think he made a real difference when he came in the field and, and pretty much changed the game for Gold Coast so I've been critical of him in the past but him and Jaden Campbell were both outstanding um, and as I said Gold Coast promising future um, it was a tough loss to take, but they'll move on. And uh, Patrick Herbert, if you get that opportunity again, uh, you're just going to make the most of it. You can't look back now. You're just going to move forward with your career, even though um, it's it was a moment of madness. You're just going to move on with it at the end of the day. So um, those are my thoughts anyway on finals week one. We're going to get to my team of the year now. But before we do so, I just want to thank all the guests, as I mentioned a little bit earlier, that appeared on the show last week. Aaron Mann, uh, Matt Dupond, Matt Cosgrew, Josh Duncan, all great guests, and I'm glad that I could finally get some guests on this show. I hope we continue to do it in 2022, and maybe I can even get some guests to preview the preliminary finals with me next week. So um, exciting times ahead on Steve's NRL Footy Tips. And if you haven't, please go and like the page on Facebook. We're up to about 600 likes, I think, now. And, um, you know, the growth of the show has been enormous over the past 24 months. So I want to thank you guys for everything you've done for me in terms of helping the the show. Um stay alive, especially during a COVID-19 period for sure. So um, do all that good stuff. Subscribe, like, share. Uh, you guys know it all. Uh, please follow the show on Spotify, Apple Podcast, Anchor, wherever you guys listen to your favorite podcast each and every week. All right, let's get into my team of the year now. And this is actually going to be released in an article form tomorrow on the on the show, uh, uh, on the show's Facebook page, a post. Um, I've written kind of my in-depth thoughts of my team of the year and why I've chosen 
to put these guys in the positions I have. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm going to probably basically give you my reasons now on the show as well. But if you guys like it in a written form and want to read it, then uh, go ahead um, as of uh, Thursday morning and, and check out Steve's NRL Team of the Year over on Steve's NRL Footy Tips on Facebook. And if you haven't, please like that page. All right, so we're going to start off now, and I'm going to do it in order from 1 to 13. I've also picked a four-man bench like I do every year, and I've got some end-of-season awards there to give out as well. Um, kind of like Steve's Dalian medals, um, because that's obviously coming up, I believe. What is it? Uh, next week and, and grand final week as well, I think it is. I think I don't think it's starting this week, but it's over two nights this year for sure. So, um, All right, well, let's kick it off. And uh, to nobody's surprise, my full back of the year is Tom Trojevic. He has been the player of the year without a shadow of a doubt. My runners-up for the position were James Tedesco from the Sydney Roosters and Nico Hines from the Melbourne Storm. But Tom Trojevic from the Manly Seagulls is my fullback of the season. Uh, his form has been in the conversation for the best run of form in rugby league history. I think it's rivaled the likes of Andrew Johns um, in 2001 when he led the Newcastle Knights that 30-24 to victory over Parramatta in the finals. Uh, Jared Haynes' run where he pretty much carried the... Parramatta Eels uh, to the 2009 Korean final against the Storm, and Ben Barber in 2012 was outstanding for the Bulldogs and uh, almost got a premiership with him, but they also fell to the Melbourne Storm. So there's been some great individual seasons in rugby league history and some great ones in the 80s as well. But the likes of Kenny and Sturlow had some great seasons. Laurie Daly and Mamaninga did as well for Canberra. So um, there's been a lot of fantastic seasons in, in modern day footy, and if you go back uh, throughout time, you've, you've got some huge, you know, Huge records that will never get broken back there by the likes of the Dragons and, and some of the tri-scorers, Dave Brown, etc. So, um, you know, uh, Ken Irvine, um, the list goes on and on. But Tom Sarovic, for me, is in a once-in-a-lifetime run of form at the moment. It's unbelievable uh, how good he's playing. I mean, since returning from his injury in round six... Tom Strojevic is arguably one man in the match 11 times in his 15 NRL games this season. A feat that should see him win his first Dalian medal in a few weeks' time. If he did, doesn't win that Dalian medal, and I know Cleary's been great this season, and so has Cody Walker, but Tom Strojevic, uh, without a shadow of a doubt, should be the 2021 Dalian Player of the Year, um, in my opinion. He dominated the State of Origin arena, starring in all three matches and winning man in the match in Game 1 when New South Wales were victorious 50-6. to His stats from his 15 games in the NRL this season are incredible. Second on the try list with 25 tries, second with try assists with 27, third with line breaks with 30, and 35 line breaks assists, an average 221 metres per game, which is one of the highest I've ever seen um, from a fullback in a season. Um, and the highest supercoach average, if you like your, your NRL supercoach, he's averaged 146 supercoach points a game in 2021, which is miles ahead of the next best ever. So um, since Supercoach has been going for the last 10 years, Tom Shroyevich has been completely dominant, and that is why he is my fullback of the year. And in my opinion, uh, he could go down as one of the greatest to ever play the game. I think he's already got that reputation based on this season and what he's done over the past five years. So um, he's, he's in the conversation for sure um, in terms of one of the greatest fullbacks of all time already. I don't think he's quite there with the likes of Billy Slater. And you might throw guys like Tedesco in that mix as well. And obviously you've got um, Clive Churchill, who's, you know, him and Slater are one and two in my opinion. Um, but Tom Sarovic, he keeps it up. He's going to be in that conversation for sure. All right, my wingers of the year. Now I'm going to go um, the wingers. And my runners up for both my wing positions are Ruben Garrick from the Manly Seagulls and Josh Adokar. 
They both were narrow misses. Both have had a great season, especially Ruben Gary uh, breaking the nearly all-time point-scoring records and I believe the regular season point-scoring records in rugby league history as well. Um, it was a great season for him and he's really um, relished being able to play outside of Tom Zorovich and Manly's magical attack this year. He's been a big part of it. Uh, Ruben Garrick, even when he's played fullback, when Tom Trojevich has been, you know, out of the side, he's still making 300 meters from fullback. It's, it's been a great season for him, but I just couldn't slot him in because I had to have uh, this player here. Alex Johnston is my first player from the South Sydney Rabbitohs. Now, um, this might be a uh, controversial pick, but I think Alex Johnston's been great in 2021. He's continued where he left off last season once again topping the try-scoring chart with an amazing 27 tries from 19 appearances. Johnson has averaged 123 metres per game, forming a key part of the Rabbitohs' dangerous left-side attack with the likes of Dane Gagai, Cody Walker, and Latron Mitchell, where he has also seen... Um, where he has also, which has also seen him have the second-most line breaks for the season with 35. Over the last season, he has developed a reputation as the game's best finisher, which slightly puts him ahead of the likes of Garrick and Adokar, who both have also had great seasons. That's the article I wrote um, on Alex Johnston's. And, man, I, you can't keep out a guy, in my opinion, that's had 27 tries from 19 appearances. It's one of the best that I've seen in my life. And he's just been a great finisher, um, which has been a huge part of the Rabbitohs. And I think that his defense has gotten better. He's making more meters than he ever has. So I had to have Alex Johnston there. My other winger that I that I chose this year is Brian Toho from the Penrith Panthers. I think, man, he is the best ring in the game without a doubt. Um, and what I wrote about him was, after a breakout 2020 season, Brian Toe has continued to improve to the point where he's become the best wing in the NRL in a season that also saw him dominate the state of origin level. A forward that can contribute and help a team get out of their own half is so important in the modern game, and Toe has set the standard with the most metres in the NRL with 4,510 for an average metres an average of 250 metres per game, with 1,696 of them being in post-contact metres, the most in the NRL. He has also become the one of the best finishers in the game with 14 tries from 18 appearances. Again, Brian Toe, he's just lifted his game to another level this year. Um, man, it's it's been a great season, and I, I think that he's going to be around for a long period of time, and he's going to dominate, um, scoring a lot of tries, and just dominate that position and be the best player in that position for the next five to ten years, in my opinion. Brian Toe is just an unbelievable talent. All right, moving on to the centers now, and... Uh, at centres, my runners-up, Joseph Manu from the Sydney Roosters, Morgan Harper from the Manly Seagulls. Both had great seasons. Joseph Manu, in particular, uh, was outstanding, one of the Roosters' play best players for sure. Um, I'm going with Justin Olam um, from the Melbourne Storm as one of my centres. I wrote about him that uh, Olam has had another great season with the Melbourne Storm. Olam is the type of player that can sometimes fly under the radar, but he has been one of the most consistent players in the Storm's back line for several seasons now. His 2021 stats include 11 tries, 10 try assists, 13 line break assists, and an average of 124 metres per game. His ability to break a game open just gave him the spot over the likes of Manu and Harper. Um, yeah, Olam, he's, uh, he's an underrated part of the Melbourne Storm's attack. Uh, you know, raids, especially on that left-hand side of the field. He's been a great player for a number of seasons. Now. I think he deserves some recognition, so he's my centre of the year there, Olam. Um, but for me, the centre of the year is the other bloke that I'm about to name, and that's Matt Burden from the Penrith Panthers. Um, you might debate, well, he's not a traditional centre, but Penrith Panthers fans everywhere will be dreading the end of the season where a star, the calibre of Matt Burden, leads the club, or leaves the club. Sorry, that's a typo. I'll fix that before I post it. <laughs> he has uh, been a star for the club everywhere he's played in 2021, whether it's been filling in the halves when Luai or Cleary have been missing, or at centre 
where he has made the position his own, and in my opinion, has become the best center in the world in 2021. Matt Burden is the next factor that has helped the Panthers become even that more dangerous in 2021. His season stats include 16 tries, 13 try assists, 24 line breaks, 8 line break assists, and an 82% tackle efficiency. His kicking game has been used at times to control the Panthers around the park, and at others to help out Cleary and Luai when they've been on the field. He's the everyman. Matt Burden, he can play anywhere in the field. He can fix any position that you need him to fix their burden, um, and he's going to be a huge asset for the Bulldogs next year. But it's been a great season uh, for Matt Burden, for sure. All right, moving into the halves now. Uh, my 5A of the year. The runners-up for me this year were Jerome Luai from the Penrith Panthers, an outstanding first half of the season, a great state of origin. I think he's dropped off in the last couple of months, but we'll see if he can improve that in the rest of the final series. The other player was Adam Dewey from the Tigers, easily the Tigers' best player. Um, absolutely outstanding season, Adam Dewey, and I think... He's got a bright future, but they've got to fix the mess there at the Tigers first, unfortunately. And unfortunately, he's got to be a part of that club. All right, well, Cody Walker um, is the man, though, for me. He's my 5-8 of the year from the CFC New Rabbitohs. He has dominated the NRL in 2021 has been the main source of the Rabbitohs' feared left-side attackive raids, being the season leader in tri-assist with an incredible 33, as well as scoring two, uh, 12 tries of his own. While the likes of Luai, Munster, and Dewey have all had great seasons in their own right. It's been Walker's X-Factor that has cemented his status as the game's best 5-8 this season. With his ability to break open the line himself or putting a teammate through a gap, he has incredible 43 line break assists. Always have opposition second-guessing their defensive structures. What else is there to say about Cody Walker? Um, that left-handed side attack for the Rabbitohs has been outstanding. And, man, um, it's going to be interesting to see how it goes without Adam Reynolds uh, as his half-partner next year. But... He is one of, uh, one of the best players we've seen over the last five years, for sure, Cody Walker. We're at my halfback of the year. This one's an obvious one. Um, the runners-up for me were Jerome Hughes. In any other season, he would be the halfback of the year. He's had that good of a season. I mean, he's the most improved player in the NRL for the last couple of seasons. He's just such an important piece of that Melbourne puzzle. Uh, Cherry Evans for Manly also had a great season. Daly Cherry Evans, a bit of a slow starter, but he's come to his form in the second half of the year, for sure. He had a shocker last Friday night, but... Uh, you know, it's been a good second half of the year for him. I'll give him some credit. All right, Nathan Cleary, though. He is the halfback of the year. He's one of the best players in the competition. Been one of the best players for the last two seasons now. What is there to say about him? Um, Nathan Cleary is, without a doubt, the best halfback in the NRL, one of the best halfbacks we have seen so far this century. The control that he has in the game means he almost never makes a wrong decision. His game management so impressive that he led New South Wales to a third state of origin series victory in the past four seasons and has been one of the main reasons why the Penrith Panthers have remained near the top of the ladder in 2021. Cleary's 2021 stats from 16 games include 19 try assists, 10 tries, 85 goals, an average 520 kicking meters per game, 19 forced line dropouts, 114 average running meters, and 87% tackle efficiency, which highlight that Cleary has dominated pretty much every aspect of the game. Those stats are, are very impressive, and... Uh, the influence he has over the Penrith Panthers are enormous. He is that club at the moment. Um, all their success is coming out of Nathan Cleary leading that team around. And he's going to be so important in this final series to so see if he can get Penrith that premiership that they've been searching for the last few years. All right, so those are my backs. We're going to move into my forwards now. Payne Huss and James Fisher-Harris are my props of the year. The runners-up were Tom Burgess from the Rabbitohs and Hargraves from the Roosters. We'll start with Payne Huss, and every year, Huss has become an even better player. At 21 years old, Huss has already become one of the NRL's hardest working forwards. In 2021, he made the fifth most hit-ups with 295, 16 per game. The third 
uh, most contact meters with 1,485 and an average of 36 tackles per game. He has been so good for a number of seasons now that he is even raising the standards of the rest of the Brisbane Broncos players, in particular their forwards, and he's the heart and soul of the club at the moment. He's only 23 years old, or 20. he might even be 21. <clears throat> might even be younger than 23, um, but man, he is one of the best forwards in the game, and I think he'll be on close to a million dollars in the couple seasons. He's that good pain, Huss. Um, in terms of James Fisher-Harris, Harris has built... Uh, on his great 2020 with an even better 2021 that has seen him become one of the most important players in the Penrith Panthers lineup and one of the elite props in the competition. His hard work in the middle of the field has really gotten Penrith from the front foot this season with an average of 160 metres over 16 runs per game and 30 tackles per game with an efficiency rate of 90%. So, I mean, Fisher-Harris, Huss, I reckon they are the two best props in the game. Fisher-Harris has been great over a number of seasons now and I think Penrith struggled a little bit when he uh, missed a few games at the back end of the season. He's really important to getting Penrith on the front foot in matches, um, which he didn't have a chance to do in that game against the Rabbitohs on Saturday night. But you just know that if Fisher-Harris is going well, Penrith uh, are going to be hard to stop in matches for sure. So, um, man, I rate Fisher-Harris enormously. All right, moving on to the hooker of the year. And I've got uh, Brandon Smith as the hooker of the year. He's had a great season. We'll get into him in a moment. My runners-up this year were Damien Cook. He had a really slow start this year, Damien Cook from the South City Rabbitohs, but the second half of the season's been a lot better by him, and he's getting back to uh, the Cook that, you know, has been great over a number of years now. Jaden Braley from Newcastle is the other honourable mention. Another great season as well. I mean, he's really finding his game defensively. He's probably the best uh, hooker in the game, without a doubt. Uh, but the cheese, Brandon Smith from the Melbourne Storm. Uh, the year after the greatest hooker of all time, Cameron Smith retired, Few would have predicted that Brandon Smith, who has always been electric from dummy half, would be able to keep a superstar like Harry Grant out of the Melbourne starting team. But the combination between Smith and Grant has been such a one-two punch in attack, the combination becoming the most important at the Storm. Smith's stats in 2021 include 11 tries, 10 try assists, 13 line break assists, and an average of 101 metres a game and 27 tackles. Um, yeah, what else there is to say? He can really just change a game. He's got that X factor about him, Smith, and him and Green have been a great partnership, and they've just broken so many games open for the Melbourne Storm. They're one of the reasons, especially Smith, uh, that the Storm are just continue to be so dominant with the retirement of Cameron Smith. All right, moving on to the second rollers, and uh, my runners-up for these ones, uh, Hemian Kuatu, which I always struggle to say his name, from Manly. He's had a great season this year. And uh, Keon Kalamatangi from the Rabbitohs has really had a breakout 2021 as well. But I've gone Isaiah Papalihi from the Parramatta Eels. And um, what I've said about him is that uh, Papalihi left the New Zealand Warriors for the Eels at the end of the 2020 season, looking for an opportunity to lock down a starting position. In 2021, he hasn't just done that. He's become one of the best uh, second rower. He's become the best second rower of the season and has become a leader of the Eels forward pack in what has truly been a breakout season. He has been one of the hardest working players in the game, being first in hit-ups with 357, 20 ahead of the next best, averaging 150 metres per game with an enormous 1,449 uh, post-contact metres, which is the fourth best for the season, and even scoring seven tries. His defence has been equally important, averaging 33, games, uh, 33 tackles a game with 90% tackle efficiency. A great season for Isaiah Papalihi, and the Eels used him off the bench last week. We'll get into that a little bit later, but um, he still made 200 metres when he got on. He's just having some enormous performances uh, in 2021. My other second row of the year, Angus Croydon, despite be, being suspended for a few games this year, 
2021 has been a season that has further cemented Angus Crichton as one of the best second rollers in the game. Throughout 19 appearances, Crichton averaged 147 metres per game, provided 21 offloads, scored 9 tries and 32 tackles per game. In a season where the Roosters' lineup was devastated by injury, Crichton has always led them from the front and has been one of the club's few consistent stars. He's just a leader at the Roosters, Crichton. He's just that good of a player that he uh, he steps over every time he takes the field. I'm a huge fan of Angus Crichton, and I think he deserves his spot despite the fact that he's missed some games through suspension. All right, in my lock of the year, Isaiah Yo uh, from the Penrith Panthers here has beaten the runners-up of Connor Watson from the Knights and, most importantly, Cam Murray from the Rabbitohs. The Penrith Panthers had another great season, and why not as incredible as 2020? Most of the team have been able to carry the form over this year. Isaiah, pa- uh, Isaiah, pa- Isaiah Yo has become the complete forward over the past few seasons. He's formed so good that he's continued to keep Rabideau's superstar Kim Murray out of the starting team this year. Yeo has always had a great captain's knock, averaging 119 metres and 35 tackles per game in 22 appearances for the club. It's his leadership and his ability to inspire those around him that has been his best attribute now for a long period of time. When you look at leaders in the NRL, my opinion, Isaiah Yeo is the best um, captain and the best leader that the game has currently, and he's an inspiration, especially for those other young Penrith forwards. I think he just provides so much, Isaiah Yo, and that's the reason why he's kept someone like him, Murray, out of the team, because Murray's been enormous. He's he's had a fantastic season as well, which leads me to my bench, and my bench is Jerome Hughes from the Storm, Cam Murray from the Rabbitohs, Hemian Olukawatu from Manly, and Nico Hines from the Melbourne Storm. It's a pretty solid bench there, in my opinion. All right, that is my team of the year for... This season, um, I'm just going to give out a couple more awards before we get to previewing the games. The, my player of the year was Tom Tarovich, obviously the coach of the year, Craig Bellamy. My captain of the year is Isaiah Yo. Um, rookie of the year, Sam Walker from the Roosters. Most underrated, Mark Nichols from the Rabbitohs. Overachievers of the year were the Manly Seagulls. Uh, they managed to finish fourth after a dreadful start to the year. My disappointment of the year, Canberra Raiders missing the top eight. I had them in the grand final, and man... It was just an awful year for the Raiders. Uh, the team that will improve the most in 2022, I've done the, I've gone the Brisbane Broncos. I think Kevin Walters really got them to compete, especially in this second half of the year, and I think they're going to have a great season next year. Headline of the year, the Melbourne Storm win 19 games in a row. Ties all-time record, and my game of the year was last weekend, the Roosters versus the Titans in finals week one. That is my team of the year. Sorry for the long segment, um, but I love talking about football, and it's been a massive season uh, in the game, especially with all the rule changes and you know, while there's been up and di- ups and downs, there's been some fantastic performances for sure. All right, let's get to my previews, and it all starts on Friday night in these massive semi-final matches. So at this point of the season, all the losers will be eliminated from the competition. We are truly in do or die in these semi-finals, and on Friday night, the action kicks off from BB Prince Stadium up there in Queensland when the Manly Seagulls take on the Sydney Roosters, fourth versus fifth. The winner will verse the South Sydney Rabbitohs to try and earn and win a spot into the 2021 NRL Grand Final. What happened to Manly last week? I just don't know. I, I thought they would be up for that game. I thought it was going to be a huge game. I thought it was going to be a, a match of the year contender. But Melbourne, while they were fantastic, I don't think Melbourne were anywhere near the best that they could be. And they just dominated the Manly Seagulls in every aspect of the game. Manly just couldn't get into the game. They were not the Manly Seagulls we've seen in the past month. And Dez has to try to figure a way to, to fix this and fix it now. It can't all be on Tom Jarovic. 
Um, the fact that he couldn't get into the game and couldn't get involved last week, well, that's on the forwards. That You look at the forward metres, that the, the metres of the forwards last weekend for the Manly Seagulls, and it's disgusting, really. I mean, it is not good enough in any NRL game, let alone a finals match for sure. You look at them, and I'm just looking at them now because I looked at them last week. Paseca had their most metres. They had all their forwards of 88. Olukwatu had 81. Tapia had 76. Then you had Alloway, 51. Jake Torovic, 46. Now, he made 48 tackles, but still, not many metres, not offering much of an attack. And then you had Schuster, 21. Syrenden didn't get enough time, much time with 20. And then Hooker, Carl Lorden, had 14. Sean Kepi had 8. I mean, that is not good enough in a finals match, and Manly's forward has been so good this season, I don't know what happened, maybe Lachlan Croker missing really hurt them, but man, they've got to fix that, and they've got to fix that fast, because you, when your forwards don't perform in matches, especially in big matches like finals, it really puts pressure on your key men, guys like Cherry Evans, Foran, and Thompson Royovich, the fact that they overplayed their hand um, last Friday night, Cherry Evans was trying to be a miracle man, trying to do it all by himself, and came up with some bad errors, um, Morgan Harper, a few Perlers of his own. Tom Sarovic, um was barely sighted in the first half. In the second half, he really tried to lift Manly, but just couldn't do it. And the fact that you're keeping Tom Turovic, whose form is unbelievable at the moment, to only 151 metres. Now, a lot of people, 151 metres is pretty acceptable. But for Tom Sarovic, that is an extremely quiet game. Something something went wrong last Friday night. I don't know if it was in the preparation, but they need to fix it. They need to fix it fast because they're versing a Sydney Roosters team that... While their performance uh, on Saturday might not have been great consistently for 80 minutes, they scored some points and their players, uh, they scored some good tries. Their players really stepped up in key moments. James Tedesco was outstanding again. He's literally carrying the Sydney Roosters on his back. And I question whether he has enough in the tank still at this point in the season. I question how the Roosters are still going at all because they're just unbelievable it's uh, the next player up mentality that Trent Robertson's got at the place, and it's outstanding the fact that they're still competing in this competition. Um, but, you know, it wasn't a great performance. They let the Titans back in the game. They got really fatigued really quickly. It was really hot up up there in Townsville um, on Saturday night, and that really affected the Roosters near the end of the game. So they've got to work a little bit on, you know, keeping as fit as long as possible. But that's just back to the point uh, of these players being burnt out at this point of the season because. The guys that have been there for most of the year, the likes of Hargraves, Croydon, Tubanua, Radley, not not, not Radley's been spent a lot, but Tubanua, Croydon, James Tedesco, um, they've just really just lifted the rest of this team to the point where well, there's some promising youngsters there, but to the point where their their form could surely has to be starting to get affected from it. I don't think Hutchison and Lachlan Liam really controlled the game at all last week either. Sam Walker provided a match winner from the bench, but I think you've got to find a way to get Sam Walker more involved. He's been named on the bench again this week. Um, Lachlan Croker is back for Manly. This is a game that, as we said, it's do or die. I don't know which way to, to lean towards, because I thought Manly were a premiership contender, and they still very well might be, but they've got to be so much better, better in those key effort areas than they were last week. The Fords really have to come out and make an impact and then let the likes of Four and Cherry Evans and Tom Sorovich play their natural game because it was very clunky last week. It wasn't natural and they just went away from what has been working so well for Manly over the past two to three months. And that's the ad-lib football they've been playing, um, the willingness to take chances and, and take risks, which did pay off uh, for Jason Saab when um, Lumi Lumi spilled that ball last week and they scored one of their tries that way. But really... Uh, Manly were lucky to get in the board last week, and 
they've got to show a lot more urgency um, with this second chance because it's still die now and you know they'll rate themselves a big chance if they can win this game and get on to the the CSD Rabbitohs next week for a grand final spot but it has to be this week they can't be winning by uh, you know a couple points in a, in a very scrappy game that both teams are pretty bad at because we know that the Roosters can be scrappy and, and their completion rate was terrible last week the Roosters um, but even if Manly win this game and don't play well then your confidence would be shot uh, if you're Manly. You need a huge performance here. You need to win by plenty. I think they've got a possibility that he could do that, but I'm not ruling out the Roosters um, from competing because they just keep, as I said, next man up all year. Uh, it's been a great mentality that, that the whole squad's had to uh, to really stand up and deliver and, and prove what it is to be a Rooster. But at the end of the day, something's got to give. They just don't have the talent on the path for me to uh, compete with, with Manly for the 80 minutes. And... You know, at Tedesco and, and, and Radley, they're great players. They can only carry you so far, um, especially with the huge season they've had. So I've got Manly by six points. But, man, I think this game's going to be right down to the wire. I think the Roosters are a chance. But they're a chance because Manly let them be a chance if they play anything like they played last Friday night. This game's all in Manly hands, in Manly's hands. If they play like that side that we saw, you know, two, three weeks ago, they, they'll be fine. That they they'll get in the prelim. There won't be a problem. But man, I saw, saw some bad signs last week from Manly. Um, so I'm tipping Manly by six, but I'm not as confident as I thought I would be. Um, if I thought they were going to be playing week two before last week, because last week just kind of took away some of the confidence and some of the hype I've had around Manly because um, they haven't had a full eighty minute performance. They haven't been in the top eight, uh, the top four side really for a very long period of time. And uh, while they've only versed the Roosters this week and a, and a burnt-out Roosters team at that, I just really question their credentials when it matters um, this season. I think that this will give their young guys a bit of experience in finals football, but I question whether they can now win the competition. And even if they do make the grand final, if they get up here against the Roosters and then beat CFs, I don't see how the results um, going to be significantly different against Melbourne. Melbourne, as Des, Des himself said, are almost unbeatable. They're going to have to be at their absolute best if they make the grand final against a Melbourne Storm team or a Penrith side, or who knows, a Parramatta Eels side. We'll give them a chance as well. Um, so so we'll see what happens with Manly. But as I said, I was, I was extremely disappointed last Friday night. Um, I've got Manly by six, but man, if the Roosters win this, it's it's going to be massive. It's just going to be a fairy tale. It's already been a fairy tale season for them to get to this point, but uh, man, it's going to be very impressive if the Roosters get to the preliminary final this year. That's for sure. And the second dual die semi final takes place from seven fifty on Saturday night at BB Prince Stadium up there in Mackay. Again, they get both the games to the local community. It's great for them up there. Uh, but yeah, the Panthers versus the Eels seven fifty up there. It's going to be a massive game. The Eels, uh, it was a good win on Sunday against the Newcastle Knights. They got up, did their job, and, uh, you know, it wasn't pretty at times, but it was a very competitive game. The Knights were in the mix for sure. They, were, they showed up, and uh, Parramatta, to their credit, withheld them. Um, still don't know about some of their choices in their starting team. Ray Stone was great, by the way, um, as, as hooker. I think it was only his second game that he's ever played as starting hooker, but he killed it. It was a, it was a great performance by him. Um, but the likes of Lane and Nakora starting over Papalihi and uh, Maddo, Ryan Madison, that wasn't even in the side last weekend, is baffling to me. Um, I, I think that Brett Arthur was concerned that Madison hadn't had enough football behind him this year after some of those concussions. But um, you have to have your best players in your 17, and I'm sure that 
Sure, they do be playing this week, even though he's been named in the 17 jersey, and I'd be really, really hesitant to start with Lane and Nicole Ray, especially against these big Penrith forwards. I think that there's got to be a switch there somewhere, because Papa Lee, he made 200 metres from the bench last week, but I think he can play 80 minutes without a shadow of a doubt. Um, but overall, good performance by Paramount last week. Moses really stepped up in the key moments, which is impressive, because Moses hasn't done that really in big game situations before, so it's good to see him starting to get some confidence at this end of the season and some belief that he makes a difference to the Parramatta Eels' finals chances this season. Clint Gustin had a good performance at the back as well. So overall, good performance by Parramatta. Their edges defense wasn't fantastic, but um, yeah, the likes of Campbell Gillard and, and Paulo really set a standard as well in the middle. Some crunching hits, especially by Campbell Gillard. They're versing a Penrith side that... They were just out of their groove last week, Penner. If they were in the fight, it was a good battle between the Rabbitohs and, and themselves. And their forward packs, just, you know, for all the talk that Seas's forward pack uh, wasn't as strong as, as all the rest of the top four, they really stood up last week, the Rabbitohs, especially Totola and Tom Burgess and Ken Murray. And Penrith just had a hard time limiting their meters. And But Pen, the thing about Penrith, they were already always in the fight. They were making, you know, 60 meters to, to Seahawks 40 a set at one point in the game. But Seahawks defense, they, they got bashed, but they just kept hanging on in Sydney. And uh, it was a, a great performance by them. Penrith couldn't get their natural game together. They also... Um, Post before match day, uh, had Moses Leota and Dylan Edwards ruled out, which didn't help their chances. Charlie Staines, uh, you know, wasn't the best defensively out there, but he finds himself out of the out of the team again this week. Crichton's going back to the wing. Edwards is back on the side, and so is Leota um, on the bench. So, um, I mean, it's it's going to be a big game, and I think that Penrith, we know the, how good they can be. We know that they're a superstar team when they're on, but uh, I saw some some bad signs for them as well. Um, just like just like Manly, I, I saw some bad signs in Penrith's performance last week. The Rabbitohs were great, but this was not the Penrith side we had seen. And uh, I think that two huge seasons might actually be catching up with Penrith a little bit now. And, you know, it's going to be a huge game against the Eels. The Eels aren't going to go out of this competition uh, without swinging a few punches of their own. Let me tell you, if they, if they, Penrith think that they can get over the top of the Eels quickly and they will be easy beats. They're going to be uh, sorely mistaken. I know that they're overwhelming favourites, but... Uh, Cleary didn't get much help last week. He, he tried his best, um, but the forward pack was really disappointing. And, and Fisher-Harris and, and Kate Well and Yo and Kiki, they've really got a big job ahead of them this week to start the game well, get over the Parramatta Eels forward pack, pack because the forward pack of Parramatta is strong. Campbell Gillard, Paulo, I question Lane and Nakore, but if they start one of Papali or um, Papalihi or Madison, then it's a completely different ball game. And I think Parramatta are going to be coming into this game with a lot of momentum and, and a belief that they can beat Penrith because, as I said, Penrith, I mean, Brian Toe tried his usual work, but it just seems to me like uh, the, the things that were working so well for Penrith early in the season aren't working as well at the moment. And for Ivan Cleary, and I haven't got into this, but I'll get into a little bit here, for the the war of words that took place before the game uh, between Bennett, Wayne Bennett and Ivan Cleary. And for Ivan Cleary... Um, to start the conversation about how the Rabbitohs are illegally going to take out Cleary. And then uh, Bennett saying that, you know what? You guys have been using these illegal blocking games for the game. I was, thought that was a pretty even contest. I don't know who, you know, was in the right there and who was in the wrong. But post-game, um, when when they got beaten by a better side last Saturday night, for Ivan Cleary to go into the post-presser and, you know, claim that 
coaches shouldn't have a say in how the refs govern the game and, and referee the game. He's the one that started the conversation. And Wayne Bennett might have reached out a couple of weekends before when Seahawks had a penalty count of 11-2 against them and just try to clarify what happened in that game against Penrith um, in round 24, I believe it was. Um, or round 23. I think it might have been round 23. But to get some clarity there, that doesn't mean that... <laughs> I, I just think that Ivan Cleary went about it the wrong way. And, I mean, he's been accused of being the new Brian Smith. And that's not a comparison you want because Brian Smith... While he was a great coach, he never won a premiership. And Cleary's been in a few big dances now, especially in finals football, and his teams haven't been able to produce the goods. So they need a huge performance this week, Penrith. And I think that's going to a lot of fire under them, and I think they're going to be up for the challenge. But I think this Paramount team, not easy beats. They're going to make it really hard for them, and I think they're a chance of causing an upset. I just don't know. I just... Parramatta frustrate me, because you never really know what Parramatta you're going to get. And... We know the Penrith we're going to get this week. As I said, we're going to get a fight up and ready to play Penrith because they've been criticised, especially in the media, a lot in the past seven days. Um, but Parramatta, they're not going to go down easy. I, their, their edge defence is a weakness, the likes of Dunster, Panisi, Blake and Ferguson. So for that reason alone, and, and the fact that we've got the best halfback in the game, Nathan Cleary, that can really control the team and and make a difference. I'm going to tip Penrith by two, but this is another game where I'm not sure. I think Parramatta could cause an upset. If Parramatta calls an upset in this game, regardless of the result here, Penrith-Parramatta, we're going to get a massive game next weekend with the winner of this team versus Melbourne to get into the green final because Parramatta are the only team that haven't lost to Melbourne in 2021 and Penrith and Melbourne had classic encounters and it's the rematch of the 2020 green final, the, the green final that a lot of us thought would see this year. So it's going to be a massive week next week, but this game... Melbourne are going to be licking their lips because I think Penrith and Parramatta both going to be up for this. I think they're going to bash each other. Um, I just think that Penrith will have a little bit too much class in the end. I've got Penrith by two, but I think this is going to be a, a big battle. I think this could be potentially game of the season. Um, I, I think we're going to be in for a treat here on Saturday night, but I've got Penrith by two points. That's it, guys, for my dual die semi-final previews. I've got the Manly Seagulls just over the Sydney Roosters trying to get back to some resemblance of their team from a couple of weekends ago, which is very possible they can, but it's going to be a, a big performance by them um, that's going to give them confidence going into a game against Seahawks. And I've got Penrith surviving against Parramatta because I think it's going to be a big war. I think that uh, Nathan Cleary's X-Factor is going to be the difference in that contest. So two huge games. Hope you guys enjoy them. Um, two massive games with the winners of those versus the Storm and the Rabbitohs next weekend for a spot at the green final. Can't wait to preview those games as well. So thank you guys for listening to the show this week and I'll see you guys next week on Steve's NRL Footy Tips. Hopefully I can get some guests in to preview, um, preview the show next week and thank you guys for all your support in 2021. I'll see you guys next week on the show. Have a beer or two if that's your thing and uh, sit back and enjoy these games. I think they're going to be two high quality games of football this weekend.